from Bayside Church International Victor Harbour. This is Chad Mansbridge. Good morning again. Hi. Was that Pepper? Yes, that's right. Well, um, very good morning to you. If you're, um, again, those of you who are visiting today, if you are from out of town, you uh, have got friends who live in the area, I've met some uh, friends of friends earlier, uh, or maybe this is the first time you've been in church. It's very courageous of you to be here, and we really want to thank you for investing your time with us. We trust that you find today uh, beneficial to you, and uh, as Erin just said, if you'd like to stay for a coffee afterwards, you're, you're more than welcome to do that. Why don't you put your hands together again for our visitors and our guests. <laughs> really is uh, great to have you in our home. You're more than welcome. All right. My name's Chad. And that'll do. Okay. Um, all right. A couple of things coming up. Now, this is what I'm going to do. I'm just going to hit straight into this today. I want you to open, if you brought a Bible, to the book of Matthew. Uh, if you didn't, we're going to have the verses on the screen so you know I'm not completely making everything up. And uh, I'm going to read some words of Jesus here in uh, Matthew's Gospel. Set a context, then we'll have a bit of fun with Rob, and then uh, we'll get straight in. We'll get into some other content. Are you ready? This is the word of the Lord, spoken two thousand years ago. But I read Acts this morning, and uh, Stephen, guy called Stephen, when he was preaching, he spoke about Moses, and he said, "The living words that God gave to Moses, He spoke to us." And there's this wonderful thing. You know, those of you who know me know that understanding or reading the Bible properly is a massive priority for me. And essentially, every time we open the Bible, we are, in essence, opening a history book where we're reading words that were spoken to others. Because none of you were there. 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. I know sometimes you feel that old, but none of you were there when these words were spoken. But just like Philip said in that sermon, just as when Moses spoke living words, he says he spoke them to us. And I was reminded just at worship team this week, Matt and Ellie played a video of some guys from Hillsong who were just saying one of the most amazing things about the gospel is that we get grafted in to a long history. We get grafted in and become part of a whole big story. One of my observations in the last number of months is my concern for the extent of history understanding that our young people have. So I'd sit down to do subject choices with my 16-year-old and the history classes are either from the 1960s or Australian and Indigenous history, and that's kind of the options. Now, the 60s were important, but if your whole understanding of history only spans 50-something years, how many of you know you're going to have a bit of a not a very efficient view of the world and you're going to give in to a whole bunch of silly ideologies that don't hold water because you don't understand history. There's potentially a reason that socialism and Marxism is popular again. It's because people don't understand what happened last century. Okay, so having a big picture view of history is really important and one of the things we do every Sunday is we open a book where we read stuff that was recorded 2,000 years ago, 3,000, 4,000 Years ago, we want to learn from history. But we also understand as we're learning from history, we are hearing words that are spoken to us today. So God's word is historical, but it is also living and active today. And anyone who agreed with that said, come on, amen. So put your hand on your heart. And dad, today we sit at the feet of the teacher to hear what it is you've said 
but we also submit our hearts to the living teacher who is here today. So Holy Spirit, we submit our hearts to you because you are the helper who comes alongside of us. And we thank you that your word is living and it is active and I pray that it would come alive to me today. Let it be. Amen. All right, let's do it. Words in red. Matthew chapter 20, and I'll just read from verse 25. Jesus called his disciples together, and he said this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, effectively the Romans he was talking about, the rulers in the Roman political scene, lord their leadership over their people. And their high officials exercise authority over them. But not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as me, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, to serve to such an extent that he was give his life as a ransom for many. So be like me. Don't be like the Womans. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds... And his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they preach. Moses' seat is a phrase basically emerged a couple of centuries BC, because when they started building synagogues, okay, they had the temple, which is the big thing, and then the local towns, they had synagogues. And when they built them, they'd have a seat up the front where the scriptures were read from. Okay? And uh, so that was called Moses' seat because the scriptures were read from there. So he said, listen, they sit there and they read the scriptures. So do what they tell you, but don't do what they do because they are hypocrites. The whole phrase, practice what you preach. Who likes that phrase? Okay? It's from Jesus. It's from Jesus. <laughs> You know, people, oh, I don't like the church, I don't practice what they preach. Well, guess what? The founder of the church, that was his phrase, okay? <laughs> Jesus came up with that whole idea. And in fact, as you read through the scripture, you know the, the verses that talk about a little yeast works its way through the dough, that type of thing. In the context, when those scriptures are quoted, it's all about the great sin of hypocrisy. It's almost like hypocrisy is one of the big ones, all right? And so Jesus is now doing two things. In the first passage we read he's addressing the roman political class and you're saying don't be like them because they're hypocrites rather you be a servant and now he's addressing the religious class and he's saying don't be like them because they're hypocrites and as we're about to read you become a servant if there's two groups of people that jesus really had it in for present tense has it in for it's those who basically flaunt hypocrisy and take advantage of others because of that whether they do it in the name of religion or whether they do it in the name of politics, Jesus also said, be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees, Oops, over here, of Pharisees and of Herod. Be aware of the hypocrisy of the political game and the hypocrisy of religion 
Because what I've come to bring to you is a lifestyle of serving. So look at me. Verse, what did we get up to? Verse 4. They tie up... Oh, here's the hypocrisy thing. Whoops, jumped ahead of myself. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. Here you go, do this. But they themselves aren't even willing to lift a finger to help. Everything that they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassel on their garments long. That's a historical thing, don't worry about it. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. So again, those synagogues not only had the seat of Moses up the front, okay, but around the edge of the building they also had uh, basically a... Oh, I forgot about you. They also had a, a bench... A seating bench that went around the edge of the synagogue. And so when you came to church, to synagogue, most people sat on the floor, but uh, the most important people got to sit on the, on the bench. Okay? So they love that place of honour. They love the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi because at the end of the day you've got one teacher and you are all brothers. And don't call anyone on earth father, because you've got one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors or teachers, for you have one instructor who is the Messiah. In drawing this contrast between the way that political people lead and the way that religious people lead, and Jesus is saying, look at me, be like me, my people should be leading like this. He makes a point in this passage of saying that language is important because language helps create and cultivate culture. Create and cultivate culture. Okay, that's part of what language does. Vernacular does that. And so he says, watch out the way in, when it comes to spiritual leaders, the way you talk about them because at the end of the day, they're just brothers. Okay? I'll never insist, in fact, I hate it personally, don't tell anyone, but that you call me Pastor Chad. Because Jesus just said, you can have teachers, you can have rabbis, you can have spiritual fathers, but don't give them that title because you're all brothers. And language helps create a culture and hypocrisy thrives in a culture of hierarchy. Right? So if you build hierarchy, that's where hypocrisy is at its best. Because when you're at top and you distance yourself from down below, you can get away with stuff. All right? That's awesome. So you don't want to build, hypoc- you don't want to build hierarchy. You want to build a community, a family, because he says you're all brothers. Okay? And you are all... You have one father. Okay, anyway, let's get to the point, Chad. All right. Verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Walked away from the page too soon. A couple of points, observations I just want to make before we get into some other stuff. Um, Number one on the issue of language. The word servant, service, to serve is the same word in the Greek. You know, it can be a verb, adjective, or noun, whatever. But the word service 
be a servant to serve is exactly the same word in the New Testament as the word ministry. Minister. To minister. No difference. Okay? To serve means to minister. Ministry, uh, service is ministry. Okay? So in passages, when you get into Paul's letters, for example, in the English, our English people translate the word and use the word ministry. 2 Corinthians 3 is a great example. It talks about the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious. So how much more the ministry that brings life. And he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry that we have is the service of reconciliation. Because it's the same thing. We have a ministry. Yeah, we have a service. Okay? When he writes to the Romans and he says, Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry. What's the word there? Service. I take pride in my service. Ephesians 4. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers are there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That is the work of service. Okay? So to have a... Chad, when did you start the ministry? When did you come into ministry? What is ministry? It's service. Okay? Y'all are in ministry. If y'all are serving. Because that's what ministry is. Ministry is service. And you have a ministry every time you are serving. Because ministry and service are exactly the same thing. Observation number one. Observation number two. Service and being a servant is about a choice. John, I put on um, the verse 8, 9 and 10, I think it is, in that passage we just read. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone father, for you have one father. If you have a father, then what are you? You're a son or a daughter, okay? No worries. And he's in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you had one teacher. If you have a teacher, that makes you a student. Okay. Your identity, you're a brother, you're a son or a daughter, and you're a student. These are the things that you are. This is your identity. And yet it's in the next verse that he says, but whoever wants to be great must become a servant. The identity of becoming a servant is a choice that you make. When you come to Christ, you instantly become a son. Bam. It's the identity that you are given the moment you were born, the son or daughter of someone, and it's the identity that you're given the moment you are born again. You become a son and daughter of God, and that will never be taken from you because God will never stop being your dad. Okay, now you may be a poorly behaved son like the prodigal, or you may become a religious hypocrite like the older son, but whether or not you're a good or bad son doesn't matter. You can't escape your identity. Once you are born again, you become a son. That is a gift that God gives you. Come on. And because Jesus is teacher, you are a student. And you may be a poor student. You may have a test this week and get a D, and next week you do an A, and you're doing pretty well. And so some people think, that's what my Christianity is all about. I'm doing good, then I'm doing bad. Then I'm doing good, then I'm doing bad. Well, listen, you might have good seasons of learning or not learning, but you're always a student. Your identity doesn't change. The, <laughs> the principal will not expel you. Okay? Your identity is set. But the identity of a servant is a choice. You are a son. You are a brother. You are a student. Now, if you want to be great, you become a servant. Yeah. 
So this is why it makes sense when Jesus says to his, his friends, listen, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. So Jesus doesn't call you a servant. And the reason he doesn't call you a servant is because that is a privilege that he leaves up to you. He leaves you the privilege of saying, I volunteer. I volunteer to be a servant. Isn't that a privilege? Wow. And service, servanthood, ministry is a choice that you have and it is an invitation I encourage you to embrace for many reasons. And here's one of my favourites. And those of you who have been around for a while would have seen me do this. Those of you who are new, just, just act like you're surprised along with those who are new, okay? As we enter into the silly season, it's a time where it should be restful for the people. But often it's the opposite. For too many people, it's stressful. It's one of the reasons that we as a church, we started having our, uh, that Christmas Day service that we do out on the lawns, okay, just to start the day relaxed. Because I grew up in a family environment where you have to get to church and you are watching your clock at 59 minutes. And I tell you what, Pastor, if you go over, we are, at, we are walking out of the door at 59 minutes and 59 seconds and we, we just got to get to church and then get home and it's just a stressful day. So stuff that, you know. We're going to start with a... Sorry. Uh, we're going to have a relaxed start to the day because the silly season should be a time of chilling out. All right. So we know that this season can be exhausting, but one of the reasons that life can be exhausting Jesus said this one day. He said, "Come to me. If you are weary, if you are heavy laden, and he said, and I will give you rest for your soul, your emotion. How many of you know, have you experienced emotional rest and emotional stress? You know the difference. All right. So Jesus is saying, come to me, y'all. You want emotional rest for your soul? Come to me. He said, learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble and I will give you rest. The very next thing he says is, this is how it looks. He says, when you come to me and learn from me and I'll give you rest, what you need to do is you need to take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is the revelation I had some years ago. I always thought, you know what a yoke is, it joins two animals together, like two oxen or two goats or whatever, right? Two bulls, and they're ploughing the ground. And it goes over their shoulders. This isn't a good one. Chad didn't really prepare for this. It's, um, that's not going to work. Come on, why don't you prepare for this, Dan? You had a whole week. It's a, it's a yoke. Yeah. Right. I told you I only work one day a week. So uh, it's a yoke, a yoke that goes over two animals. Now, I always thought that the yoke, Jesus was saying, listen, my yoke's easy and light, so here it is, Rob, wear this. Do this and you'll be right, mate. But he doesn't say, take your yoke upon you. He says, take my yoke. So the picture there is Jesus, as an ox, standing with his yoke on his shoulders. And he's saying, now come to me. Stand alongside me. Take my yoke upon you and let's walk together and let's walk, work together. And in serving with him, you find rest for your soul. Because one of the most exhausting things that you can do emotionally for yourself is be selfish. 
And so Jesus' remedy for emotional weariness is to stop being self-centered and serve others. Now, if Jesus had said, come to me, you who are weary, and find rest for your soul, and rest on my heavenly hammock, or my you know, divine lazy boy, I would have said, amen, Jesus, that makes sense. If you're heavy and weary laden, come to him and put your feet up, mate. But his remedy was, come to me and serve. Serve with me. Put my yoke upon you, and as you serve with me, and get your eyes off yourself, come alongside of me and get your eyes on others, you will actually find rest for your soul. So one of the great remedies for emotional exhaustion, exhaustion, one of the problems with emotional exhaustion, it comes from you being self-centered. You, us. It comes from us being self-centered, preacher. But one of the great remedies for emotional exhaustion is serving with him. Four or five weeks ago, we started a series that we entitled Set for Success. It was in the preparation for summer, which I know doesn't seem <laughs> near at all <laughs> this week. But we decided that we'd look at some big issues of life where God has set us up for a win so that we can enter the summer season knowing that God has empowered us to succeed in major areas of life. We based some of what we've been doing on Deuteronomy 8.18, which says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to be successful. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Come on, you should wake up every morning and say that one. God, today you lead me in triumph. The question is, will I follow you? Because you're leading me. And you lead in triumph. He sets us up for a win. He leads us in triumph. And we're talking about some of the main areas of life where God has set us up for a win. The first week, spontaneously, just happened that way. Uncle Don put me off and I had to change my message. But we looked at the big area of our speech. Big area of our speech, how powerful our speech can be. The second week, we looked at the big issue of life regarding our bucks our money, our finance, and looked at how something of what a successful financial life can look like. We looked the next week at our thought life. Rachel spoke about the power of truth because your thought life is a massive area for you. And so embracing and understanding truth is an absolute key to success. Last week, Rob looked not at the areas of our thoughts but more the areas of our attitudes or our feelings. Some of the great feelings or emotions we can combat are things like fear and worry and anxiety and one of the great remedies to that is hope massive area of life the area of hope today i want to look at the area of ministry of service because service and ministry are the same thing and it is a huge calling that we all have but before we move to that we had some homework last week Keep the screen blank, please, boys. How many of you have committed yourself this week to learning Rob's memory verse? From okay, if you've learned Rob's memory verse, then come up to the front, please, because Rob gave us some homework last week and he said he'd have some prizes for us and I want to hold him to that. Oh, they're all ready. Lovely. Okay, come to the front. Who's, who's learned the memory verse? Come on, I put it on Facebook. Two of you. No one else. 
Who remembers the one word that he, that he said? Yeah, Heather? Hope, hope. Okay, we've got two people who learned the memory verse. Really? Oh, what, what, what's the good to do on Facebook then? Okay, you two, you two come up here, Rob. Give him a... Um, let's see how Glennis goes. Give, give him a test. You, can put the, you guys have to face this way, and you can put the verse on the screen now uh, and see how they go. Just don't turn around. It's no good looking at his Bible. It's not open to that page. Uh, that's right, that's right. Is it first, 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay, now, who's going to go first? Okay. There you go. <laughs> Block your ears. Put your hands over your ears. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in his great mercy, um, he has given us new hope, new, no, new birth into living hope through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, that's pretty close. Not, not quite, but pretty close. But hey, you just... You, you, no, no, you, you, you just, you, it's important resurrection from the dead. Okay. I, but you did very well. She did better than any of you. <laughs> you may take two. Now, no excuse to say you've got a bad memory ever again. Are you ready for this, Malcolm? Come on, Malcolm. Okay. Yes, Dave. <laughs> all right. Okay. Praise be to the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. That was probably a 99%, but very good. Take two. Now, hang on, hang on, Glennis. Because you two were courageous enough to come up here and actually did something for yourselves by learning something of the Word of God, you need to just take another handful. Because I've got—I I had enough here for the whole church. <laughs> I'm open for bribes. No, is that ministry? That's right. Takes them all, man. There you go. Well, you know who you guys need to be friendly with after the service. <laughs> Round of applause, please, again for uh, these two courageous. Courageous people. All right. Gee, I think we need to set homework more often. I, I, I don't know if two, you know, two's, two's good enough. It, 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 it's, it's actually very poor. <laughs> well, it, it, is, it is the end of term. Everyone's slowing down. having memory verses. Some of you of certain age are having memory verses. And you guys grew up learning by rote. Two times two is four. See, oh, I didn't grow up. I've got a calculator. Thank you, Rob. All right. Hand, hand together, please, for Rob. Let's... Um, all right, if you do have a Bible, let's, oh, I'm just going to look at, and this is very Chad, okay? Set of context, we're talking about serving, I'm going to look at three points, I'm going to use Acts chapter 6, 7 and 8, not going to read the whole thing, but Acts chapter 6, and uh, we're going to look at uh, some positive public examples of successful servants. Positive 
public, well-known examples in the early church of successful servants and then examine three complementary characteristics found in each of them. So I'm going to read uh, in uh, Acts chapter 6. That word um, for service or ministry in the scripture in, in its various forms, adjective, verb, noun, is uh, diakonos, okay? And the, the English word deacon comes from that. And many people, it's mainly of church tradition, so it doesn't matter if you disagree with it, but many people believe that here in Acts 6, these are the appointments of the first recognized deacons. But believe that, be that as it may, Acts chapter 6, I'll read the first few verses. In those days, this is in the beginnings of the brand new church after Jesus had gone to heaven. Chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Greek-speaking Jews among them complained against the Hebrew-speaking Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it's not going to be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom and the, this responsibility will turn to them so that we can give our attention to the prayer and the ministry of the word. Guess what that word ministry is? Service. Okay, guess what a preacher does? They're a minister, they serve the word. Okay, whatever. Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group and so they choose seven men. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip and then a bunch of other guys with funny names. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them and so the word of God spread. I only read the first two because that's Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 7 is devoted to Stephen, the next chapter, and the next chapter, chapter 8, is devoted to Philip. And so I'm going to specifically, that's really why I only read those names, Stephen and Philip, examples of successful servants. First thing about successful service and what it looks like. Successful, yeah, you get stoned, yeah. Someone's read ahead. Success, you skip those bits. Um, successful service says, I will serve those in need and I will serve those who lead. I will serve those in need and I will serve those who lead. These men who were chosen for this service, this ministry, were serving people in need. Widows, no income, no Centrelink, they needed help, they were serving those in need. But they were also serving those who were leading because they responded to the voice of the twelve who were overseeing the church at the time and saying, guys, this is too much for us to focus on, it's really important and you will help us do our job well if you do this job, can you please do this for us? Do this for us. Serve those who lead and serve those in need. Successful service does both. And you see this all the way through the scriptures, encouragement to do both. Isaiah 58 talks about true fasting, helping those in need, the widows, the orphan, the poor, the struggling, the down and out. And yet again, scripture after scripture, we're told about serving those who are, quote, over us, serving those who lead us. The book of Proverbs, all about being generous to the poor, generous to the down and out, generous to the needy. And yet at the same time, the father, Solomon, who's writing these words of wisdom to his son in the book of Proverbs, also tells him how to conduct himself in the presence of kings. To honour those who are over you, to know how to conduct yourselves with those in need, and know how to also honour and serve those who lead. When we did our finance talk, 
We discovered that in Israel, when God instituted the tithe, it was go, to go to support those in need, because it went to support widows, and yet it also went to those who lead. First Timothy 5, New Testament, exactly the same thing. There's this whole chapter devoted to saying finances should go to help widows who are in need, but also those do not muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain, those who lead. It's a great concept. And again, Jesus, I think, would say, look at me. <laughs> Jesus, remember, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. Who, who did Jesus serve with his life and ultimately his death, giving his life as a ransom man? Who was he serving? He was serving. He was serving us, those in need. How many of you have acknowledged at some point in your life you need Jesus? Okay. In this great example of Jesus at the Passover, Last Supper, whatever you want to call it, he's washing his disciples' feet. He says, I want you to do this as well for one another. And Peter says, hold off, Lord. There's no way I'm letting you do this for me because you're greater than me. And Jesus said, pull your head in, mate. You must let me serve you or you can't have anything to do with me. How many of you have ever been received the generosity from someone and it's broken you? You just think, sheepers. Me? Really? I think Peter had one of those moments. Not me, Lord. Come on, I'm not worthy. And Jesus said, you hold your tongue, boy. You can't have anything to do with me unless you let me serve you. For that's why I've come. Powerful, no. Jesus came to serve those in need. But who else did he serve by coming and dying on the cross? In the Garden of Gethsemane, after he washed his disciples' feet and served them, he's found weeping in a garden, and the horror of what's about to come overwhelms him emotionally. And he says, Dad, I really don't want this. This sucks. It's in the Greek. This sucks. And he says, but at the end of the day, it's not my will. I'm here to serve your will. Jesus, look at me, demonstrated what it was to serve those in need and to serve those who lead. For he did so under the instruction of his Father. And successful service has room for both. Serving those in need and serving those who lead. Point number two. Successful service says, I will do what needs doing, and I will do what I love doing. Successful service says, I will perform duties, things that are just a duty, they just got to be done. And I will also do these things that I delight in, that I desire, that I have great passion for. Successful service says yes to both. See, these men, Stephen, Philip and the five, they said yes to what really is a bit of a mundane task. It says there in the English, waiting on tables. Okay, good job if you can get it, but honestly, it's a bit dull. Okay, 
waiting on tables, helping people in need. It was a mundane task. And yet that's where you've got to keep reading. Chapter 7 and chapter 8. Because while these men were faithful in doing what needed to be done, in chapter 7, Philip, uh, sorry, Stephen is operating in signs, wonders and miracles. He is turning cities upside down. Thousands of people from, from in the area called Samaria are coming to know Jesus. Demons are coming out of people with shrieks and the whole town is turned upside down. He is operating in signs and wonders. Philip, in chapter 8, is also operating in signs and wonders. He has an angel appear to him to go say, go speak to that guy, on the, the Ethiopian on the, uh, on the road. And as he baptizes him in water, he's miraculously teleported 20 miles, boom, in an instant to another town. How many of you know, that sounds like fun? That sounds like fun. If I had my choice, I'd just be doing this. This is fun. This is what they love doing. But these were also men who just did what had to be done. Stuff has to be done. But also stuff you love doing. And successful servants say yes to both. And some people, you may have heard this, see this as a kind of a progression for these men. Like a bit of a promotion. If you start by serving in the little things in life then God will promote you to do bigger and better things. I don't quite see it like that because I see both operating at the same time. And that's what parents do. We do stuff with our kids that we love and we do stuff with our kids because you just got to do them. Yeah? Anyone love wiping nappies? Because I can, you know, I can send you some work if you like. And Jesus gave instructions for both. He said, wash one another's feet. That's not an exciting, passionate job. I don't think any of the disciples around the dinner table or the dinner carpet that night thinking, yes, foot washing ministry. I found my place. You know, This was a job that just had to be done. Because when you sit on the floor eating and your stinking feet from wearing sweaty sandals and walking and treading in camel poo on dusty roads... When you're sitting around the floor and your feet are within a couple of, you know, a metre from the food you're eating, washing feet's a really important job. And it's not particularly, you know, no one's really passionate about it, but it's just a job that's got to be done. So Jesus says, look at me, took his robe off, wrapped it around his waist and said, this has got to be done, I'm doing it and I'm setting you an example. I wasn't expecting, you know, last week when I said, Guys, we need our bathrooms here cleaned every Monday now. It's going to take half an hour to an hour, once a week. We need someone to just take ownership and do that. I wasn't expecting many people to jump off of their chairs and going, finally, my passion in life. Oh, washing bathrooms. Woohoo! Please, give me the bit where the men don't lean in enough. I'd love to do that. I, that's what I love. Honestly, guys, lean in. And... Um, <laughs> But sometimes there's jobs that have just got to be done. We do those things that are duties. We do those things that we delight in. And successful service says yes to both. When Ryan and Kylie's dad was leading the church I grew up in as a young adult, a couple of things really made an impression on me. One was the ministry that I love. Passionate preaching, passionate worship, signs and wonders. Seeing miracles happen, people come to the front, touched by the power of God. I was baptised people some days and... Ryan might remember that you're just in the baptism tank with people, dragging them up and you have to lift them out. Three men have to carry them out because they're just 
I'm comatose in the presence of God. I love that. And I remember that ministry that made such an impact upon me. But do you know someone else who made an impact upon me in that time? It was a guy called Ian. And Ian was a wealthy bank manager. Worked on King William Street. Had many staff underneath him. He was a well-to-do man. His wife was well-dressed, well well-to-do. You could just tell the car in the car lot... Those people are doing well in life. And Ian was the chair guy. And Ian would be there without fail every Sunday, first to arrive, one of the last to leave. And he would be walking around straightening chairs, stacking them after the service, because this wealthy man who, as I said, probably had many staff under him in his hierarchy during the week, said, I'm willing to serve and do what has to be done. And that made probably as much an impression on me as the dramatic, passionate side of ministry because both are important. Make yourself a servant and successful service says, I'll do what needs to be done as well as I'll do what I love doing because if we only do what needs to be done, then it's easy after time to develop some resentment, maybe some apathy, maybe some lack of passion because we feel like we're in the rat race, the rigmarole, the, we're just doing the same thing. It becomes the mundane only won't serve our hearts well. But if we only do what we love doing, the things that need to be done will end up becoming our undoing. If we only do what we love doing and we neglect some of the stuff that just has to happen, then those little foxes will end up ruining the vineyards because some stuff has just got to be done. And successful service says yes to both. And everyone said, point number one, we serve those in need and we serve those who lead. Point number two, we serve both our duties and our delights, things that have to be done and things that we love doing. Thirdly, successful service says, I will serve under the instruction of others and... I will serve under the inspiration of my own. I will serve under others' instructions and I will serve under my own initiative and inspiration. Because what's interesting in this, these three blokes, or these two blokes, is that here in Acts chapter 6, they do the widow thing because they're asked to. Guys, we've got a job. We want you to do it. It's going to happen every Tuesday and Thursday and Saturday. Be here at this time. Get that done. Yes, sir. I operate under your instruction. I'll do that. Yet in Acts 7 and Acts 8, when they go preaching to different towns and cities and spreading the gospel, it's remarkable. No one asked them to. It says in the next chapter, after doing things that they were asked to do, It said, Stephen, or Philip, went to Samaria. He went. How many of you heard preachers sometimes make a deal of, there's a difference between those who were sent and those who went? Okay? Maybe. But Philip was one who just went. He went. Wasn't asked to. Not issued a command. He just took his own initiative and got a job done. He decided somewhere in his heart, I'm going to go to Samaria 
and I'm going to rock it. And I'm not going to, before I go, beg and ask people to support me. Listen, God's put this on my heart, but I'm only going to do it if you support me. Oh, God's put, God put me in this heart, but I'm only going to do it if you get me up in front of the church and let me ask for support. Now, God's really put me in the heart, it's a vision, but I need you to help me get my vision fulfilled. Now, nah, God's put me in this on my heart. See you later. I'm getting on with it. Okay? Because I got the vision. That means I got the goods to fulfill it. So I'm just going to do it. And then once they start doing it, and the thing rocks and explodes, they get on the phone and they call the apostles in Jerusalem and they said, hey, fellas, things are really rocking here. We need your help. And it says Peter and John heard what was going on and they went there then to assist. Okay? It, see the order in that. Philip and Stephen didn't go to them first and say, I've got an idea. I need your help. They said, I've got an idea. God, you've given it to me. You and me, we're going to get this done. Let's show some initiative. And then once the thing was growing and blossoming and flourishing, the other guys got on board and said, guys, we want in on what God's hand is obviously on. Because operating under instruction is a good thing to do. Successful servants do that. But operating under your own initiative and your own inspiration, because God's put a dream in your heart, that is equally as powerful as the hand of the God rests on that. Some of you know before I... When I moved down to Victor years ago, I took on a job as a youth worker. And in taking on that role as a three days a week, I had to take on some existing obligations. The role before me, there was four people in the job in three years. Whatever. So, <laughs> give this guy a go. He's untrained. We'll give him a go, all right? What can we lose? So I had to take on existing obligations, which was running a youth group for the health service. But then within that role, I also had scope to do my own stuff and my own initiatives. And so I did what they asked me to do. I led a youth group as part of the health service role as a youth worker. But then I did some other stuff. I invented, I, I put together a sex ed program for the schools before Safe Schools was around. It was a good one. And uh, I put together sex ed. I created a drug an alcohol debate during Drug and Alcohol Awareness Week, an inter-school debate where year 10s would get together and debate drug and alcohol issues, like whether things should be legalised and that. I set that whole thing up. And you know what? My boss came along to those events that I planned and got all the credit for it. Because at the end of the day, now my initiative was a Southern Fruity Health Service gig. I did what they asked me to do, but then I also took initiative and did what God ultimately laid on my heart to do. And both are valid and both are powerful and successful servants say both to yes. In fact, this sex ed program I did uh, got onto national TV. I was asked, I flew me to Melbourne. I was, spoke, spoke at a national youth workers conference and uh, two of my kids got onto Inside on SBS uh, because of that. So it was quite successful for a little thing in Victor Harbour that my boss didn't come up with, I come up with. And it's hard for me to talk like that because I sound like I'm big noting myself, but it was so long ago, I'm trying to, I think I can get away with it. But the point is, don't discount the power of your own initiative and entrepreneurship. I was talking with some guys over breakfast this week, talking about the, the, the difference. You know, when you see yourself as a servant and God as king, then yeah, you operate under instruction. I just do what he tells me. Yes, sir. But when you see yourself as a son who owns the family business, then I, I, I take my own initiative because I know my dad 
does not want the toilet looking like that. And I know my dad would not be happy with that profit and loss statement. And I know my dad would want that customer leaving really happy today. So I do things that I just know my dad would want because I know him. I'm not waiting for him like a servant to a master. Give me the exact thing to do, master. I understand his heart and his nature as a son and so I have a lot of scope to take initiative and to be entrepreneurial and to do my own thing because at the end of the day, it's not my own thing. I have the DNA of my dad within me and I know everything I'm putting my hand to, I'm doing with a heart to honour his name. Okay? So both work. Do we, do we pray for the sick because I'm a servant that just does what I hear him say? Don't pray for a sick person unless you hear the exact voice at that exact moment. Yeah, that, that can work. A lot of people, that really works for them. Or do I pray for the sick because I know that's what my dad would want? And so I just do it because I'm a son and it's extending my family business. And the answer to that is yes. So we operate under instruction and we operate under our own initiative and both are powerful and One of the things I love about this community is I see that happen week after week, day after day, month after month. People here who are doing jobs because they were asked to. And that's highly commendable. And people taking their own initiative and doing jobs because they love to and they just know that's what's best for the place. We're all going to miss watching Glenn do this. Because the last few months, Glenn has been one of those guys that's come in and taken initiative just to do stuff around the place that no one notices. No one asked him to, but he'll just get here early and make stuff happen. And it's his last time, last service with us today before he moves to Tassie. Where are you, Glenn? Up the back. Alex, Dan, would you put your hands on Glenn's shoulders? Let's pray for him. Because that man's getting married again. Dad, we thank you for this great servant of our house. We thank you for the way that he has served us. We thank you for the way that he has served you and honoured your name. And as he goes into this next stage and phase of his life, we bless him in Jesus' awesome and magnificent name. And we pray the riches of your grace upon this marriage, the riches of your grace upon his wedding. And we say Happy New Year to that family in Jesus' name. Thanks, mate. Why don't you thank Glenn? Service, ministry is a really important deal. Number one, because ultimately it represents Jesus well. Look at me. Don't lead like the hypocritical uh, political scene who just do what they do to make people happy with them. And don't lead like the hypocritical religious scene who just do what they do to make God happy with them. God's already happy with you. And people will be, quote, happy with you when you're just yourself. And what you are is a son, a brother and a servant and if you, uh, if you choose to be, you will be a servant. A servant of the king who represents him well. A servant who ministers to those in need and ministers to those who lead. 
and find space in your world to do both. A servant who does what needs to be done and still serves the Lord with gladness. Psalm 100, come on guys. Luke, you knew that one. Serve the Lord with gladness, even though it might be mundane. I'm not sad about it because I serve the Lord with joy. But I also do serve what I love doing. Serve in things that I'm instructed to do and do so also with a glad heart and do things under my own entrepreneurial inspiration and initiative and all those things matter. Are you happy to be a servant of a generous king? Then stand to your feet and let me pronounce a great blessing on you. I'm going to read... I don't think this will be a memory verse. Because <laughs> quite frankly, I know you're going to get enough chocolate over Christmas. And I don't want to be a part of that. What's that? There's next year. Do you know the person next to you well enough to take their hand? Leave it on their arm, just you know what I mean. Um, above all keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins be hospitable to one another without complaining as each one of you has received a special gift employ it in serving one another as good stewards of God's manifold grace if you speak, do it as one who speaks the very utterances of God. When you serve, do as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all the glory and all the dominion forever and ever. And anyone who agreed said, Amen. Why don't you give him a great big clap this morning? Stay on your feet. Go, Rach. Who's grateful for chairs that you get to sit in every week? <laughs> yeah, we have a team that does that every Sunday. They, they set it up and they pack it down. Who's thankful for amazing coffee? We have an amazing team that make great coffee. Who's thankful for our kids' program? We have an amazing team that love serving our kids. So when you leave this morning, why don't you say thank you to the people that volunteer and serve you guys and make church more enjoyable for you and then also why don't you think about ways that you can get involved and ways that you can serve this wonderful community all right you're free to go have a coffee stay around <laughs> um, and if you want prayer for anything come and we're here for you this has been a podcast from bayside church international thanks for listening